Now, last week we it was Valentine's Day, and we shared about um, how the the love chapter is actually right in between um, two chapters talking about. Uh, our spiritual life and our spiritual gifts and how really love isn't something that's reserved for marriage and romance, but love is literally how God expects us to walk out our Christian life, how we put our gifts and callings into practice. And uh, that was last week. This week's title is Love, What to Do When You Don't. Um. Because, you know, sometimes uh, we, we know what we're supposed to do, um, but sometimes it's not so easy. Uh, we've got kids, and uh, they have said this on more than one occasion, you know, how easy it would be to live life if such and such sibling wasn't there. Now, nobody raise your hand, don't admit it, but how many have ever thought that? Be like, you know what? Life would be so easy if just so-and-so and such-and-such, and, such and they just weren't there. Um, but, but God has called us to live with others. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So, sometimes people are like, oh, man, I love being a Christian. The problem is other Christians. And, and you know what? You're right. But God's answer isn't, everybody stay home. We've tried that this year. Did not work. Go live in the mountains. <laughs> Go live in the mountains. His, his response is love. That's right. So the first question I want to ask you is, have you ever tried to like or love something out of sheer will? You have? So the first example that comes to my mind, because we just went through the holiday season, for me, is pumpkin pie. I watch every year as good, God-fearing people love pumpkin pie. Every year. And to be quite honest with you, I'm a little bit jealous. I see them. They're waiting for this delicious dish. They're like, this is the best part of Thanksgiving, pumpkin pie. And I look at it, and every year, like, I'll smell it. I might even take a bite. And every year, I'm shocked at how disgusting pumpkin pie is. <laughs> but you guys, I want to like it. I really, really want to like pumpkin pie. I do. I want to... I want to have that experience with everybody else of looking forward to this dessert. But I just don't. I just don't. But you know, as I was thinking about this, I thought to myself, you know, as an adult, maybe not as a child, but as an adult, I could fool you into thinking I loved pumpkin pie. Right? I could look, oh, it's so good. I'll put my whipped cream on there. I take a bite and I can smile and I can fake it, and I, ooh, that was so good. And I could probably trick a lot of you into thinking that I liked pumpkin pie, right? But that's not what was in my heart. I don't like it. I probably never will at this point, right? My taste buds aren't going to change. So my question is, is it really all that different with people? Is it? 
Today we're going to spend a lot of time in James chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and flip there and maybe keep a thumb as we go back and forth between verses. But I'd like to look at James 3, 2. That says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So what this verse tells me is that we can treat people in a loving manner. If we control our tongue, we can control our entire body, and we can treat people lovingly even if we don't feel like it. So I'd like to let you in on a little bit of a secret. Well, first, let me ask, how many people here have ever found it challenging to like someone? It's okay. All right. So I'm not alone. You're not, you're not going to judge me for this, right? Okay. So here's my little secret. There is someone that I have, over the years, struggled to like. Now, this person is a good Christian person. They are a kind person. They are a loving person. They are doing the work of the kingdom of God. And I want desperately, for years I wanted desperately to like this person. I would say, Josh, I just, I've got to find the thing. What is the thing that I, I have to connect? I need to like this person. You all believe it's not me, right? Oh. Uh, <laughs> you guys don't know them. Don't worry. It's nobody here. You don't know them. <laughs> But it bothered me on a deep level that I was struggling to like this individual. And this was, this was a process that God and I took together as he showed me, how do I like this person? Now, I'm going to use this as an example today. I know it's trivial, right? This is a good Christian person. I should be able to like them. It's fairly trivial. But I'm going to use this as an example because it's not really triggering. Because all of us know that that's the least of our problems, right? That people wound us deeply. And a lot of times it's people that we're close to who have wounded us deeply. And, you know, the Bible tells us in Matthew 5, 44, that we are to love our enemies and bless those who curse us. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. We are supposed to show love we're supposed to pray for even our enemies. You guys, that's hard. It's really hard. So today we're going to talk about how do we do that? All right. And, surprise, we're going back to James 3. James 3, verse 13 says this. Who among you is wise and understanding? Anybody here? All right. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show his good behavior, or by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have a bitter and jealousy in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. All right, read that again. So, those of you who are wise and understanding, show it by your good behavior. But if you have jealousy in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. What does it look like to have bitterness in your heart and then be arrogant and lie about it? See, if the truth is you have bitterness and jealousy in your heart, then lying 
arrogantly lying against that is to pretend, oh, I don't have any bitterness. I, I know the right answer. The right answer is, I don't have any bitterness. Remember that dog cartoon? He always grumbled. I, I, don't, I don't have that. That's not me. I, mm -mm. Inside. We can't just give the right answer because we know it's the right answer. The Bible describes that as an arrogant lie. So when we, I think we do this as Christians, that either consciously or subconsciously, we know we're not supposed to feel that. And so we rationalize it away to be something else. Now, let me give you an example. And my example is from the movie Legally Blonde, which... 2001. 2000, that's 20 years old, so I'm sorry. I'm really dating myself. <laughs> but do you remember that scene? There's this legal team, and there's a woman who's been accused of killing her husband. And you have the little legal student who says, well, she's an exercise instructor, and exercise gives you endorphins, and endorphins make you happy, and happy people don't kill their husbands, right? I think this is what we do as Christians. We say, okay, I'm a good Christian person, and Christians don't hate, or Christians don't feel this kind of bitterness, therefore... It's got to be something else, right? It can't be hatred. It can't be bitterness. I'm a good Christian person. We rationalize it in a way that makes it something else. And as Christians, we love to say we're calling that which be not as though it were, right? We say that phrase a lot. We throw it around as Christian people. But this is a trap because very quickly, we're not angry, we're frustrated, we don't hate them. We dislike them. We're not jealous. We're just a little suspicious of their motives. We're not bitter. We're just a little disappointed. We're not deal dealing with unforgiveness. We're walking in caution and wisdom. Fear, that can also become wisdom. Be called wisdom. Be called wisdom. And you see what we do is we, we rename things. We rename things. But verse 14 tells us, stop being arrogant. If you have something nasty in your heart, call it out. Call it what it is. And this is really important because this is a trap. This is a trap. If we go down to verse 15, it actually calls it demonic. It says, first, wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly. This kind of wisdom, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, where there is, there is disorder in every evil practice, you have to call it what it is. If you call it what it is, you can call it out. But as soon as you rename it a friendly term, you give it permission to stay. Does that make sense? And we do this. So... If you come to us and we're doing marriage counseling and we listen to you for half an hour and then say, I'm just a little frustrated with my husband. And we say, okay. In the name of Jesus Christ, spirit of mild frustration, come out. Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. Nobody, nobody by that name in here? 
No, you have to call it what it is and take authority of it. That's the only way to kick it out. Verse 16 says, where, where there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil thing. We can't afford to rename those nasty things in our heart something else to make us feel better. We can't afford it. You know, we like to listen to uh, clean comedy. And there's this comedian that, that we listen to from time to time who does this, this bit. And he's talking about how in his community where he grows up, people love to rescue those really, those dogs that have been used for fighting. You know, you've got your pit bulls, your Dobermans, your, you know, all those kinds of dogs, the Rottweilers. And people just let them wander around loose. And he's afraid of dogs. He's been attacked by a dog before. So he'll walk up to his buddy's house, and here comes this Doberman with a docked tail, you know, like slinking up. And he's scared. And his buddy's like, why are you freaking out, big man? Cupcake, don't bite. Cupcake, don't bite. Right? It doesn't matter what you call cupcake. It doesn't take away the danger of the dog. Right? And really, when we rename it, who are we fooling? We're just fooling ourselves. So step one, what to do when you don't? Step one is to honestly assess what's in your heart. It's got to be an honest assessment and don't rename it something else. All right. So step one is to acknowledge that frustration, if it's hatred, the suspicion if it's jealousy, the disappointment if it's bitterness, the caution and self-protection if it's unforgiveness, and that wisdom that was really just fear. We acknowledge what it is, and then we deal with that issue. Hebrews 12, 15 says, See that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up and causes trouble and defiles many. Luke chapter 10, 19 says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. See, God, God has given us tools to deal with that stuff. But when we are pretending it isn't there, when we named it something else, we don't deal with it. There's a, there's a true story about a missionary in, in India, and he... Um, he had a, a woman come to him in just distraught because her husband was bit by a cobra and died. And he, he tried to help her. How many kids did she have? She had a bunch of kids, like five or six. And so he, he sent her some things back. She came like the next week. One of her kids had bitten, been bit by a cobra and died. And he's like, oh, my goodness. And he tries to help her again, and he gives her some stuff. And, and the next week, another one of her children dies. And finally, he went to visit her home. And he shows up, and as he's talking to her, he catches some movement out of the corner of his eye, and he sees there is a snake in her house, and he grabs the first thing he can find. He's about to attack it. She says, don't do it. My aunt died a few months ago, and the next day that snake arrived. I think it might be her. True story. She had death in her house killing her family members one by one. But she refused to see. She named it something else. She said, this might be something else. So we attack 
that which is wrong. The Bible says in 1 John 4.19 that uh, we love because he first loved us. Recognize, we don't love as a response to what they have done. We love as a response to what God has done for us. Our step three is to reconnect to the source. He is my source of love. I don't, I don't work myself up to love that person. All right, okay, they treated me bad again. Okay, what about that is so inspiring that I want to love them? Nothing. If you're looking for them to inspire love, you're not going to find it. The Bible says we love because he first loved us. And when we are focused on how much he has loved us and what he has done for us, then that is when our response, our love response comes out. And you know what? You know, I think I can, I can forgive that because look how much I've been forgiven. I can, I can treat them well because I have been loved so deeply. James chapter 3 verse 9 says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in the God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt water produce or spring produce fresh water. That's great. That's great. So I want to go back to my pie example. I can smile. I can pretend that I like this pie. Right? But is that the same thing as actually liking that pie? No. Is tolerating someone with a smile on your face the same thing as showing them the love of God? No. You guys, we are the light of the world. We are supposed to be loving people. We are supposed to be emanating the love of Jesus Christ. Is this tolerance slash superficial pretending to love someone going to change their lives? Is that showing them the love of Jesus? The Bible says if you don't love, you don't know God. Because God is love, right? So if we're finding it hard to love, we have to reconnect to our source. We have to. The love of Jesus is what compels people. That's in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15. For Christ's love is what compels us. He is the vine and we are the branches. Without him, we can do nothing. I mean, nothing. Without him, we can do nothing. If we disconnect, we are bringing a counterfeit version of love that will never have the effectiveness of the real thing. So back to my example of this good Christian person that I was struggling to love for years, for years. I was struggling with this. And I said, God, what am I missing? I don't I don't feel that hatred in my heart. I'm being honest about what's in my heart. What, what's the next step? What am I missing? 
And that's when God showed me something that I think is the critical next step. He showed me that I needed to have his eyes for that person. And so I said, God, could you show me how you view this individual? Show me your heart for this person. Allow me to see them through the purpose you have for them and the value you have for them. And I took their picture. I said, God, show me. Show me. And I looked at it, and I worked with God until I started to feel love. Okay, he has value for this individual. And I think there's a couple things that are important to consider. The first one is that when God views us, he's not viewing us in our current state with our current failures or our current progress in life. I really, he is viewing us for the purposes and potential that he has put inside of us. That's how he's viewing us. Through the blood of Jesus and that redemption. And I think about, you know, if an apple tree withers up and dies and never produces an apple, is it still an apple tree? Was it still an apple tree? If I'm supposed to be an author and I'm supposed to impact people with my books, but I haven't produced a book yet, does God still call me an author? Is that how he views me? I think so. I think so. So this, friends, this is the fun part. This is the fun part. Okay, are you ready? Because this is when you get to call that which be not as though it were. So here's this person, and maybe they haven't produced fruit yet. Maybe they haven't produced those apples. But God shows you this is the value, this is the purpose, this is the plan. And this is when you get to co-labor with God to see his purposes manifested for that person. And it's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. This happens over and over in Scripture. How many remember the story of Gideon? Gideon, who is hiding in a wine press, trying to thresh wheat. Counterintuitive, impractical. Why? Because he's afraid. And an angel of the Lord comes, messenger of the Lord, shows up and says, Greetings, mighty warrior. He wasn't, was God looking at him in his current position? No, he wasn't. God was looking at him based on his future. How many of you parents loved your children as soon as they were born? I mean, you didn't wait for them to, like, earn it? I mean, think about it. What did that baby do? Cried? whined, made you do everything for them, but you looked at them and you loved them so deeply. Why? The Bible describes God's love for us like a father's love. When a parent looks at their child, they don't see just the current state of their child. When they look into that child's face, they see all the potential, all the future that that child will hopefully have. All those diapers they change, 
they don't change them. We don't change those because we just love it. But we love it. We love them because we see their future and potential. How do parents look like, you know, the saying, that's a face only a mother could love. Or when, when we look, we, we understand. I believe that's God giving us a picture of what, how he looks at us. When he looks at us, he doesn't look at our current state. He looks at our gifts and our callings, and he knows what he put there, and he treats us based on our potential, not on our position. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God looked down at us at our worst and then loved us based on our potential for our best. He says, I am going to increase your potential at your worst because I believe that's for you. 1 John 5, 14 says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. So here's the thing. A lot of people get really bent out of shape about the concept of faith. Name it, claim it. Or I remember one guy says, ah, you think God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise? I'm like, you realize the alternative is sick, poor, and stupid. <laughs> like, but, but this this idea that everyone is upset that faith just looks at two plus two and says it's seven. Looks at green and says it's red. But I want to, to help you see this. The Bible says... That when we ask according to his will, what the Bible is saying isn't that faith is going to look and say, hey, blue is green today. My, 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 my Volkswagen Beetle in the, the driveway, that's really a Lamborghini. What faith does is it looks at an acorn and says, that's an oak tree. You see... When something is God's will, that turns it into a seed. When we have God's promise, then we're not looking at an empty, normal situation anymore. If God has promised something, then there is a seed there. And what faith is, is faith is declaring the outcome of that seed. It is declaring the potential that God's promise has imbued in that situation. When we look at a situation and we call that which be not as though it were, what we're really doing is we are acknowledging that God's promises, purposes, and, and His will are on that situation. Therefore, that situation is not dead. That situation is a seed. And so when we look, faith doesn't change random things into other random things. Faith activates God's promises, 
his callings and his will. Faith stands on God's will. Faith transforms people and situations into seed that grows as a result of the supernatural response to faith. And it's fueled by the very promises of God. Amen. Right? That's good news. That's awesome. When we ask according to God's will, faith isn't blind. And neither is it wrong to look at someone through the eyes of faith. When we love someone who is a jerk, when we look at our enemies and we treat them with love, we aren't being stupid. We're not being blind. We're not calling up, down, green, red, and two plus two, seven. We're calling an acorn an oak tree. We're calling an apple seed an apple pie. Not because, you know, it is because we're recognizing, you know what, I understand that God's purpose has potential. We are looking into a child's face who has never done anything for us. And recognizing the future that it has. And choosing to love that person, to treat that person, not based on what they're doing in this moment, but based on the purposes and promises of God for that person. Can they mess it up? Yeah, they can. But but here's the deal. What if a farmer went to his barn and said, none of these seeds are growing. I don't think I'm going to plant any of them. I'm going to wait and see which seeds start to grow in the barn, and those are the ones I'm going to plant. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do, listen, love, unconditional love is the conditions, that is the greenhouse that causes God's purposes to be fulfilled. Emily and I will never forget, we were, we were uh, coaching a soccer team for our kids. In fact, Maybe seven-year-olds, would you say? I think they were around seven. seven. Yeah, they're around seven years old. To give, give you the mental image here. We've so got we've got kids. a bunch of little seven-year-olds running around. And there was one seven-year-old in particular who had as much energy as the whole rest of the team. And he was just, I mean, if, if he got the ball, he would go for it. But when you try to tell him, you're on defense, stay on this side, he'd see the ball, 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 woo! And he would just go for it. And he was, he was great, but man, he was, he was not listening. And I'll never forget his father who it may have even been his his biological grandfather but he was the 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 guardian who was there one day he's like just go ahead and shout at him if he needs to if he doesn't listen to you you just shout him he's gonna end up in jail someday anyway (sighs) yeah we all thought the same thing we're like whoa he's just trying to get the ball like he had already just like written him off all the potential that was there. Here's the thing. That environment that is likely to nurture the potential that's in him into something powerful and beneficial is missing. 
Sometimes our words are powerful. You know, those words we speak are so, so powerful. And that same environment that's true for a little kid, that's also true for the person we're struggling to, to like. You know, they need that unconditional love so that their acorn can also become the oak tree. Let's go back and read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That's good. If, if we look at that, just, just thinking back, love is patient. Why do you need to be patient if someone isn't irritating in some way? Love keeps no record of wrong. doesn't say, and love has no reason to keep a record of wrong. It says love chooses not to keep a record of wrong. Love always hopes. When I hear that, that love always hopes, what I see is that love is focused on the potential. See, the enemy will try to bring our focus back to, to you know, the, the fact. They, they did this, they were annoying. But love says, but there is a purpose. God has a purpose for their life. I can, I can look and see that person through God's eyes and recognize God desires this or that for them. How many kids never fulfilled their potential because no one would love them in their seed form? How many spouses never fulfilled their potential? Because I'm not going to love you until you get it right. Or how many friends, how many employees never fulfilled their potential? Love sees people through God's eyes. It sees them through the, the, the lens of hope. Love always hopes. So what we'd like to do as we're wrapping up service is actually give you an opportunity to put this into practice. We saw a lot of hands. We asked how many people have ever struggled to like someone, and I think everybody's hands went up. We all have somebody in our lives that we could, you know, work on loving a little bit more. So what we'd like to do is actually have, have Danielle put on a song, and we're going to go through those steps together. Step one, that was to honestly assess what's in our hearts, right? An honest assessment. And if you see something there you don't like, what do you do? Kick it out. In the name of Jesus, I command you to leave. Spirit of anger, spirit of frustration, get out of my heart. You don't belong here. I'm a child of God. Get out. Okay? And then we're going to seek God's heart for that person. God, how do you see them? What are the seeds in their lives? And then we're going to spend some time co-laboring with God, focusing on those seeds 
calling that forth. Okay? Are you ready? Okay, if everyone could just stand to their, their feet. We could maybe dim the lights a little bit if you want. Close our eyes. Just get ourselves in the right frame of mind. Get that person in your mind that you you just want to seek God about. Like, how, how God, do I love this person? thinking of someone, just ask the Holy Spirit to bring them to mind. Just search your heart. What is it that you honestly are feeling? Ask God to reveal if you have a heart issue that has been allowed to stay, that you've renamed. says that your Holy Spirit brings things to remembrance. Lord, we ask that today and over the next few days that you would bring these words from your scripture to our hearts, that you would remind us, that you would show us 
some of the misnamed dangers that we have kept, the cobras we have kept in our homes, in our lives, that have been causing division. We rebuke those. We call them what they are. We welcome your perspective of these people. We pray that you would give us your eyes. We ask that you would use us to water the seeds of your calling and your purposes in the lives of those around us. Lord, we pray that we would be known as people who see the best in others and inspire them to it. In Jesus' name. Lord, I just thank you for this church body. I just thank you for the purposes and plans that you have for us as a whole. We thank you for everyone who attends, for everyone who volunteers, for everyone who invites others to come and to grow alongside us, Lord. We just pray your blessing on them. We thank you for everyone who is watching from home or from wherever they are. Lord, we recognize there's no distance in your spirit and that they are a part of this family as well. Thank you so much. We declare blessing and purpose and fulfillment of that purpose over them in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.